you got to keep the big picture that, hey, we're changing the world. We're changing the world. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent. We're speaking with people that are sending a pulse to their industry. Pulse Welcome to, their to industry. Electric People. We have Dave Madsen on the show. Check out Tim Ballard. Jeff Curl. Sheckler. Kenzie Watts. The League presents Electric People. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Electric People. Today, Ty, we've got a special guest, a good friend of mine. His name is Aaron Wagner. And uh, every so often, you know, the majority of these podcasts we do, we do with our top sales guys, our executives at the company. And every so often, we bring in people outside of our industry and outside the company. And the, the name of this podcast is Electric People. And we, we try to find people that are sending an electric pulse through their industry or through the world. And as I've gotten to know Aaron over the last few months, um, I feel like you guys are going to be really excited to kind of hear his story and hear what he's all about. So um, so just to kind of give you a brief introduction, well, not brief, but I'm going to give you the full introduction. I know, Ty, you don't, you don't really <laughs> know Aaron that well either. So I'm going to kind of give you the full rundown of who we're talking to. So Aaron... Uh, played football at BYU, was drafted by the New York Jets, played pro football for a couple of years. During um, his last kind of run as an NFL player, started getting involved with uh, private equity and investing. And um, over the last you know, 15, 20 years or so, he has flipped over 200 single family homes in just a three-year period with a net profit of well over $20 million. He's built and developed over 700,000 square feet of commercial real estate. He's developed over 1,000 storage units, over 200,000 square feet of office space, uh, half million ver- uh, square feet of warehouse space, a bunch of retail, a bunch of medical facilities, a bunch of land. Um, he currently uh, owns, he currently owns real estate that's tenanted by car dealerships, car washes, medical labs, spas, restaurants, dessert shops, dental offices, um, auto body shops, mechanic shops, warehouses, gyms, rehab. Anyway, the list goes on and on. Um, And he has uh, dabbled in quite a bit of private equity. He is consulted on over $2 billion worth of investments. Um, And he is a uh, just a bit of a serial entrepreneur. So some of the restaurants you're maybe familiar with just locally there um, in Utah and around. He's uh, an investor in Crumble Cookies, um, owns a, a big restaurant they just opened down in Vegas, and just kind of has his hands in all kinds of things. So um, I thought it'd be really fun to have Aaron on. And you know, Aaron, we have a lot of our a lot of our sales guys are making an unconventional amount of money with this job they have. And uh, I just thought it would be really interesting to kind of hear your story, um, how you started approaching life as you started making more money and um, just kind of general advice for our sales guys and, and kind of how to build wealth as they're uh, you know, as they're growing personally and, you know, kind of trying to save for the future. So, Anyway, excited to have you on, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate you guys hey, having me. Hey, you had me at Crumble Cookies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, everybody loves my wife is one of your biggest supporters. And I, and I get that a lot. 
<laughs> so, he, so um, um, hold on. I was going to say one more thing. He's also a semi, uh, a bit of a social influencer as well. You'll see him on Instagram speaking many, at events and many, all kinds of things. Um, he's many very good friends with like uh, Andy Frisella and Sean Whalen and Ed Milet. And he's kind of, he kind of runs in that circle too. So, my first question, Aaron, is how do you get uh, – oh, by the way, his Instagram is – if you guys want to follow him, it's Aaron Wags, A-A-R-O-N-W-A-G-S. So Aaron Wags, give him a follow. He's always got tons of cool advice on investing and things like that. Oh, by the way, family man, Ty. Aaron, how old are you, by the way? 38. He's 38. Homeboy has seven kids. Seven You're winning. kids. And I thought Ty, I thought Ty was out of his mind with his five. And then I met Aaron. I'm like, what is, I mean, you guys are wild, man. So anyway, my first question, Aaron, is how do you get the blue check mark on your Instagram? (sighs) Gotta be a baller, bro. (laughs) (laughs) No, man. I, uh, you know, funny thing is actually is, um, I think I had applied for verification, like, through entrepreneurism, you know, and just like accomplishments in the business world through Instagram, probably two or three different times. I mean, anybody can apply for verification. It's in the app. You just select it. And, um, and then I changed my profile, uh, heading to athlete because I was a professional, former professional athlete and I applied and within like two minutes I was verified. That was it. Because essentially all the people, all the people do at Instagram is, they Google your name, and as long as you match one of those, um, you know, whatever you're applying as, like an influencer, media, athlete, musician, as long as you're applying and you and when they Google you, you match that and you look, I don't know what the terminology is, significant or influential or whatever the case may be, um, there, there's, there's words they use when they're asking you when, when, you, when you apply for verification. So they Googled. Matched up that actually an athlete in blue check. That's awesome. So you're telling me if Ty, if Ty and I just put door to door salesman on our Instagram and then we apply, you think we could get it? You know, uh, might be, you might be able to, if you're like best door to door sales dudes on the planet, maybe. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe I'll put podcaster of Maybe that will get it. Yeah, podcast uh, yeah. disaster. <laughs> yeah. So, Aaron, oh, you've done all these things. You've done all these things. You've done. Uh, you've got your hands in all kinds of different investing and business. Um, what's been the thing that you? What's been the one maybe business venture that you've done that was the scariest thing that you did? Uh. You know what? That's a that's a good question. But to be honest with you, like um, I've just kind of always had an attitude. Um, and this sounds like I'm not trying to be macho or anything, but I'm just really not afraid of anything. I've, I failed a lot of times, and even early in my youth, like I came from nothing, and so I just never had that fear that I think other people are raised to have, um, like kind of falling off a, a pedestal or falling off of you know good graces. Like I didn't come from that. So for me. I've never gone into a business venture with any fear because I had nothing to lose. There was only an upside, you know, and if, if everybody approached every venture, every opportunity, every risk 
that they took in life in that manner, they would have little to no fear as well. Because what's to fear? Like, you know, you only have an upside. It's, it's like, you know, if you're in Vegas and, and the house was giving you a free option every time, you know, only upside, no downside, you're not really going to be afraid of gambling big, right? So fortunately, I, I kind of work from those constructs um, at an early age. And then I've been able to build confidence along the way. And I've also been kicked in the teeth a bunch of times. And so now I kind of know like even worst case scenario, what it can feel like from going from a good place to a hard place. And it's not that bad. It's, it's not as bad as everybody thinks. It's not as bad as you think it is. You know, we, I think for most people, we, uh, we inflict that pain on ourselves more than the real circumstances of life will. So that's really what it comes down to. Don't you, don't you think your appetite? Yeah, it is. It's, it's great, but I think it's also easier said than done. I mean, don't you feel like your appetite for risk has decreased as you've acquired more wealth, you know, because all of a sudden, I think it's easy to have that mentality when you truly don't have anything to lose. But when you start having a lot to lose, do you feel like your appetite for risk has decreased? Yeah, I think, I think it definitely can. Um, I would say that my appetite for risk has has probably decreased less because of what I've accumulated and essentially what I have to lose, um, and more mostly just because I've been jaded by circumstances and people. And you know, when you're young and you're you know bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, you're just like jumping in and assuming the the best of everyone and of every circumstance. And because I'm an uber optimist by nature. Uh, you know, sometimes you're just ignorant and, and naive. And so through business experience, I've learned that not everybody is, you know, an abundant mentality person. They're not all cheerleading for, for you to succeed along the way. Um, this is, this is the mentality and the perspective I pres- uh, subscribe to my entire life. So I think I automatically assume that most people were that way. And that, and, and it's, I don't think that's the case anymore. I don't believe that anymore. Um, I still subscribe to that. But I think I'm just more aware through circumstances that that's not the case for everybody. And so I would say that appetite for risk is lessened more just because I'm jaded by people. And and to be honest, I'm just with experience comes knowledge. And so you see the pitfalls a lot clearer, clearer right? Like a lot of times and, and quite frankly, I would attribute a lot of my early successes just to the naivety. Like I just didn't know better. I didn't know where you could lose, where you could fail. And so I was just running as fast as I could. And, you know, if there's a pothole, I just jump it, you know, and just keep going and sprinting. And so now I see those potholes from a really far, uh, really far away. And it's kind of like when you're a kid, you know, if if you looked at it and you're like, ah, you're worried about if you're going to make it over it or not. But if you're just running, you had to deal with it on the fly, you're just going to jump. Right. So I would say that my appetite for risk has decreased more because of people and less of less because of what I've uh, accumulated. The other part of that, quite frankly, is that along the way, I have lost. And my perspective or, or what I envisioned that losing feeling to be was, um, was far worse than what it really was. You know, I mean, I've had some major losses and um, it wasn't that bad. You know, once if I would say it's a it's a tough time for people that have found success, if they've inherited it, or they've won the lottery, or you know some something like that. Because then, if I was those guys, I'd be scared 
to lose. Because, like, you know, hitting the, hitting the jackpot more than once in life, it's highly rare, right? It's very, very rare. When you've figured out how to do it yourself and you know how, it doesn't matter if you lose it tomorrow because you can make it again the next day. And that's truly how I feel. Like, I could crumble tomorrow and, quite frankly, within six months, I'd be a multimillionaire again. And I'm confident. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that to be cocky. It's just, you know, if you, if you built a puzzle three times, you know how to do it every time. Do you guys remember when um, Ronda Rousey was just on her tear? Do you remember when she was like, yeah. like taking just that Ronda clear, Rousey moment? Clear as day. My, me and my daughter watched it because she loved Ronda Rousey. And when she got her first loss, it was like devastating. <laughs> yeah. Ronda Rousey was really fun to watch. But I actually, I read her book and her book was before um, her most recent like couple losses. But she talks about that. I actually even think it's the quote like on the book or on the back of it that says, Something to the effect of I'm, I'm fearless because I've slept in my car and I'm not afraid to sleep in my car. It's like when she there, there didn't used to be money for females in MMA, right? Like originally Dana White thought no one would want to watch female yeah, fighters. Yeah, I remember. And, mm-hmm. and so she came in there with nothing to lose and then was like just created this massive wave. And then uh, I think it's that mentality of, listen, I've, I've tasted as bad as it could be and it's not that bad. And so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not that scared to go back to it. Do you think that it's interesting to hear you say that? Because do you think that maybe your background in sports lends itself to that? I'm just thinking like you've lost games and you've tried to make plays that didn't work or you've taken shots that haven't gone in. Yeah. I think some, for some reason, people with finances are like, oh, I have this money. I can't lose it. But that might be like, hey, I have the, I have the ball. I can't fail. But you have a, you have a real history in, in doing that. Do you think those two correlate? I think, I think for sure, I mean, the lessons you learn in athletics and, and especially at high-level competitive sports, obviously, you know, grit and resiliency and all those things. But, but a lot of it, I think, also is just perspective, right? I mean, when you realize, like, you can drop one pass and you don't lose the whole game, or if you lose one game, you don't lose the whole season, right? Um, it's the same thing in life. It's the same thing in business. You don't have to win on every deal. You just got to win the game and, or the season. And so, um, but to, to go back to the point you brought up in terms of like knowing where you started, like, I think honestly, my childhood lens probably, um, brings the most resiliency that I have. I think that's probably where it came from even before sports, simply because like when you grow up with nothing and you know, you got five kids and two parents and a two bedroom trailer and you have to pull lake from a pot and carry it into your um, your trailer and boil the water to drink it. Like, where's the down from there? You know, like at this point, like if I lost everything, am I going to be that? No, I'm just going to be renting some nice condo or something like that for six months. Right. So it's like, <laughs> I just like, I was happy when I was broke. I'm happy now. And I was happy everywhere in between on the spectrum. So to me, it's just, once you know the formula, you can jump back on the horse and go. And uh, I think that's where the resilience for me comes from. Is just like, I've been ground zero. Hey, I learned a new term and it's pulling lake, pulling lake. I've never heard him say that dude, <laughs> pulling lake in a, in a pot. Um, I think that's, I think that's really applicable to what our sales guys do though, because you know, 
I don't know. I don't know how this relates to sports, but so many of our guys would be successful, but they're 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 paralyzed by fear, right? They spend an extra hour in their car checking yep. emails, making sure that their pens are lined up right, driving up business cards, all the busy work that's not the hustle work. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think that mentality that you just mentioned is really good. You don't have to win every single deal. You just have to win the game. Well, we're direct salesmen. We knock doors, and I think the one that doesn't fear the rejection is the one that ultimately scores the points and, and gets the means, you know what I mean? Oh, you're 100% right. I mean, when I hire in my organization, a lot of times our chief talent officer will come in and say, hey, okay, so what are the, you know, what are the experience criteria that we need for this position? You know, on our executive team, do we, do we have to have a minimum of three years or five years or, or whatever the case may be, right? And, and ultimately, the conversation always goes to a point with me where it's like, I'm weighing between the experience and the wisdom that comes from that experience. Um, and I'm weighing that with th what that experience brings them in terms of uh, constructed thinking and being jaded and all those things that like kind of work against um, innovation and ingenuity. And so for me, um, it's important. I think that a lot of people's success early in their life honestly just comes from like not knowing better. It's like you said, these kids that are like scared to get out of the, the car, like, well, they're fearing a whole bunch of stuff that's happening in never, never land, but it hasn't actually happened yeah. in real life. And, and a lot of people do that. They just play the what if game in their mind all the time. And that's one thing that I refuse to do. Um, anybody that knows me knows that I don't, I don't play like what ifs. I don't play the, the what if game. There's going to be a lot of in our life that we're going to have to deal with a hundred percent. We're going to have to deal with it because it's going to come up and they're going to be problems. And the best solutions people in the world are typically the most successful people in the world. But one thing I know is I don't want to deal with what if problems. I don't want to come up with solutions to stuff that actually never even transpired or happened to me. So I'm going to focus my energy on what I actually have to deal with in life and, and see what that gives you in terms terms of bandwidth versus the guy that's also dealing with the what if scenarios. Like think about that. If you if you had to analyze or audit your thought process through the day and how many how many times in your life, especially for your guys, are you are they running through a scenario that one has hasn't happened and the probability of it actually not happening is probably super high. So how much talent, energy, time you know, emotion are they giving to that circumstance that that likely will never ever happen? So my my whole thing is just like start sprinting, like deal with it on the go because you're gonna have to deal with problems regardless. Just deal with the real ones. That's it. Dude, I love that, Aaron. Love so that. many of our sales reps, um, so many of our sales reps have come from humble beginnings and this job is the first job they've had where they can actually start making, you know, life-changing money. You have a similar background where you, you know, came from growing up in a trailer up in Canada, by the way, which I forgot to mention in your intro. Um, mm -hmm. And at what point in your, you know, life did that glass ceiling of what was possible kind of start getting raised? Like what was the pivotal moment? Was it when you made it to the NFL? Was it, you know, like what were those, 
key moments in your life where all of a sudden you're going, and maybe it's not one, maybe there's several, but yeah. what yeah, were those moments where all of a sudden you're like, you're like, wow, all of a sudden I never thought I could make this much money or I never thought I could do this and I'm here. And now all of a sudden I believe that I can do even more and more and more. Right. So can you kind of just walk us through how yeah. you just kind of kept breaking through those glass ceilings that you've, that, you know, sure. we all kind so, of have. So the first thing I'll say is in, in speaking directly to your, um, your guys' sales reps and the people in your organization, the first thing I'll say is that, um, by far, hands down, unequivocally, the number one skill that you can have in all of business and in my, in, in my opinion, all of life is sales. That's it. So like what you guys are doing right now is building a foundation of sales acumen, sales skills, sales, you know, showmanship, all that stuff is so highly applicable in any successful business. I don't care if you want to be a doctor, dentist, lawyer, it doesn't matter. Like the, the most successful people in every single organization have some ability to sell. And it's not the same style. It's not, you know, like razzmatazz. It's not all like, um, you know, what, what people would say, like showmanship. People sell in different ways. You guys all know that. But that sales skill that you're building in your in your current organization, it's, it's invaluable. And um, now to answer your question, Adam, um, yeah, I've had multiple of those moments throughout my life. I would say that one of the first of those um, came just in my childhood. You know, I, <clears throat> I'll kind of tell you a little bit of story that leads into how I broke some of those ceilings. But when I grew up um, as a kid, pretty much the only thing that mattered to me was sports. And a lot of you guys will relate with this, but no matter whatever it is that, that appeals to you, you guys will be able to plug that into this story. But for me, it was sports. And I was the type of kid that like from one season to the next, the, the sports just overlapped. So I was literally like finishing a basketball season while I was starting my football season or right. And, and it really became my identity. Like I was, everything was, sport. all my journal entries were like, Oh, I got this game tomorrow and I got this, you know, and it's all I thought about. It's all I really cared about. And I remember in um, eighth grade, I had uh, I was actually trying out for the the junior high volleyball team in Canada. Junior high is seven, eighth, and ninth grade, and I had played on the senior varsity junior high team the the previous year. And so the coach um, kind of had already deemed me as like a captain of the team. I was leading most of the team through the drills and the tryouts and we were about three days into tryouts and we still had 16 players on the team. And I remember a couple of the kids that were like on the bubble um, noticed we still had like an extra three or four players and they came to me and they were like, Aaron, when is coach going to make the rest of the cuts? And I remember thinking like, I don't know, you know, but they were like, well, can you ask? And I think obviously they wanted me to ask because they felt like I was, you know, comfortable with the coach and been playing for, for a year and, you know, kind of knew I had secured a spot in the team. And so at the end of practice, you know, I said, hey, coach, um, when are we going to make the rest of the cuts? And she said, hey, everybody come in, take a knee, and I want everybody to close your eyes. And whoever thinks we should make the rest of the cuts today, I want you to raise your hand. And so me and um, one other kid that was on the team the year previous with me, kind of like the co-captain, we actually raised our hands. And she said, everybody open your eyes and whoever raised your hand is cut. And 
I just remember so clearly like that feeling of like devastation that, that took place at that moment. And I went home and I remember just crystal clear. I was walking up the stairs and, and I was crying. Like I was crying like a baby. This sounds stupid, but you know, you're, it's like volleyball. But when you're a kid and that's your identity in your whole life, it's devastating. So I'm walking up the stairs in my home and, and my, my mom um, stops on the staircase and she looks at me and she's like, what's wrong? And I told her what was wrong. And I'm like, my life's over. It's, you know, the end of the world. I don't know who like, and my mom looked at me clear as day. And I remember she said, Aaron, with the right perspective and the right attitude, everything in life happens for a reason. And obviously as a, you know, a young 14 year old kid, I was kind of like, yeah, whatever. Like my life sucks. And I just kept crying. But I remember she, she said that to me and Fast forward, you know, I'm coming home from school every day. I'm bored out of my mind. I don't know what I'm going to do because I don't have any sport to go to. My little brother started playing this other sport um, called football. Now, in Canada, football is not a big deal. Like, it's just not. Like, everybody plays hockey. Nobody plays football. I had no idea how the game even worked. Like, why are those guys tackling those guys and they're kicking it sometimes and they're throwing it sometimes? And, I, I, like, I had no idea how the sport worked. So that's I how it out of my mind and I, and I literally would <laughs> ride my bike down to um, my brother's football practice and I would just watch out of boredom and once in a while, you know, it was just like this, the movie, like the ball would roll over and I'd pick it up and throw it back and then pretty soon the coach was like, hey, do you, we're short on people, you want to come run some routes and, you know, I ran track and so I was fast and I was running, catching balls and, you know, within like a week of me just showing up at practice every day, like, hey, why don't you come play for us. And I was like, cool, I don't know what to do, but like, give me the ball and tell me to go, you know? And so that's what I started doing. And, you know, obviously found some success in it. Um, ended up, you know, the first person in my province, which is like the equivalent of a state in Canada, to go on a Pac-10 scholarship, full ride scholarship. You know, I had, I ended up having like 26 full ride um, division one scholar scholarship offers. And, and to give you a little bit of background, like from there, there was no possible way that I was going to college if I didn't figure out a way to pay for it. I'm, I would have been working in the oil fields, you know, a, a typical like rig pig in northern Alberta, just like pretty much what all my friends in high school did. You know, my parents are broke. I had no way to get into school either from grades or from a money perspective. So that was like, that changed my life. I mean, that put me in a position where like, oh my gosh, I can I can college, I can go to university. And even better than that, I can come to the United States, you know, the, the, the land of opportunity. And, and so, you know, I, I remember when I got my scholarship offer and I decided to go to Washington State um, at, a, at a high school, I got on my 1984 50cc Raz scooter with a backpack with everything I owned. <laughs> And I, and I rode from Canada. I rode that scooter at like 25 Wait, miles an hour. Wait, what province are you from? Canada. What province are Alberta. you from? Alberta. How far I rode is that, that scooter for literally two Bellingham? days. Uh, that's, that's, <laughs> that's British Columbia. I'm, I'm over more, a little more. The next province over. So it was a, long, it was a really oh, long drive yeah. on a You're not on a, a small scooter. dude. <laughs> no. No, it didn't go up the like the the big hills through the pass. Like I had to use my legs to push too. So it was, but I was in good shape. You know, I was a kid. Wait, do we seventeen do we years let, old? Just 
Do we yes. let kids on scooters just come across the border? Like, is that hey, that's man, a thing? I was, like, seven, I I was 17 years old. You know, I had a student visa. I was ready to go. So um, you're going slow, but you were you were deliberate. I was going I slow, like, but I'm there. I feel man, like so. we should have. <laughs> I feel like we should have caught that one time. <laughs> so anyway, I get to the border. I show up at I show up at Washington State. You know, our, I find out my scholarship check doesn't start for like, you know, two months until September. But I wanted to be there early to try to like work out with the team so I could play as a true freshman. But I had nowhere to live and I had no money. And um, and they and I wasn't allowed to work there because I'm an international student without a work visa. And I just remember like showing up in the locker room and I was the first kid there like working out. And at the end of the night, I was like, I don't know where I'm gonna where I'm gonna stay. So I just slept in the in the showers, you know. And then um, when everybody came in for early morning workout 6 a.m. I was the first dude in there so because I they didn't know but I just slept in the showers and so they it was funny because all these like senior juniors and seniors they're like dang dude this little like freshman you know Canadian kid he's like he's like committed man he's here like early he's the first one in the locker room and uh and so it made a good impression and I ended up being able to start as a true freshman in the Pac-10 and you know win a couple conference championships ended up you know obviously transferring to BYU and found some success, but I remember it was really cool because, um, you know, when I signed my contract with the New York Jets, which, you know, had for years been a, a dream and a goal to, to play professionally, I just remember thinking back to the moment with my mom on the stairs where she said, you know, with the right perspective and the right attitude, everything happens for a reason. And without that, that hardship, without the, the most devastating thing happening to me in my entire life, there's no chance that I'd be where I'm at today, you know, being in this country and having school paid for, having the relationships and the network and the experience, um, it just would have never happened. And so from that moment, I knew very, very clearly that not only does everything happen for a reason, but I also knew that the hardest things in our life are absolutely going to be the most powerful moments for us to to gain strength and to grow and to, and to make ourselves resilient to things in the future. And so now throughout my life, lots of those moments have happened where it's been really hard, but because I had that experience, I knew that these were my moments to shine. People shy away from hard. They don't like it. They're afraid of it, but the best of the best of the best, they ball out in the hard. And so now you come into my home. Yeah, I got seven kids. And honestly, if you walk into my house right now and you ask anybody from that's essentially five and older in my, in my household, you say, hey, what are Wagner's good at? My kids will answer this. This is what they'll say. They'll say, Wagner's are really good at hard. We're good at hard. And, and that's what I've taught them because that's what I believe about life is that everybody takes the least, least path of resistance and the people that will tackle the hard stuff that nobody else wants to do and they'll master that and they'll get really, really good. Those are the ones that are just going to dominate because there's way less competition on the hard route. There's way less people that are, that are hard charging the hard, right? So that's just been a great lesson to me. And I think that was one of the, the times where I broke ceilings. Yeah. I sold, uh, you know, I signed a professional contract and I realized like, man, I can do this. Like, you know, I'm, I'm part of the 0.001%. And beyond that, I did it coming from nothing and coming from a, a different country. 
And, you know, as I, as I look back at my life and I, I reach these milestones of success, even today, just looking at my family and my life and lifestyle, and I, I feel like, man, I am literally living this life that when I was a little kid, I just had posters of this on my wall. And this was like my, my vision board. But to be honest, when I was a kid, I had zero belief that I'd be able to attain any of this stuff. It was just like, like, oh, dude, Michael Jordan's cool and so are these, these cool cars in that cool house. You know, you, you, I, I had no idea to actually be able to attain them. So, so now to live that stuff, that's like, it, it opens your eyes. And so to answer your question, Adam, you know, those moments continue to happen for me. And I think um, one, of the, one of the most eye-opening things that hopefully a lot of the people on your guys's, in your guys' organization and your listeners can, can learn from this is that one of the most surprising things to me was every one of us, we put a lot of people that we, uh, we envision as very successful people on pedestals, right? And so we look at them, we might think that they're smarter, we might think that they're, you know, better, we might think that whatever, they, they have special skill sets. The majority of the most successful people I know, as I've graduated in the hierarchy a little bit of the network, and I've come to really get to know a lot of these people very personally, what I've realized is most of them are not smarter, most of them are not better, they don't have special skill sets. They they really are just dudes that are making to-do lists every single day in their notebooks. And they're just executing those to-do lists every day because they compound so quickly. And so my, my eye-opening experience when, I, when I've gotten to these certain levels in realizing that these people that I thought were just ultra elite, they're not that innately. They're, they're, that, they're that elite because they've just grind it they just learned they just never given up and and so for me that was an eye-opening experience when i all of a sudden got to know somebody that i thought was like whoa had it all together no problems figured out dialed in when i realized like dude he's got problems way worse than i do like oh that that dude's making all that money he's not even smart you know that that gave me a lot of confidence i mean i i remember clear as day at BYU, which by the way, I still had my 1984 50cc Raz scooter at BYU, and I drove. <laughs> How'd you get BYU it from Washington to Utah, man? Drove I have it, so man. Many questions. I drove it. <laughs> so, so not oh, only did I, I still had it, but I remember I drove that thing from uh, Provo up to Cedar Hills. If anybody kind of knows where Cedar Hills, I drove it up man. there. I came down American Fork Canyon, and I drove around Alpine, and Alpine's where I live now, and. You know, most of the homes in Alpine are super, super nice homes. You know, most they're big. They're 10,000 square feet, multi-million dollar homes. And I remember driving around and, and this thought was just so prevalent. I was like driving around. And I'm like, man, there are so many big, nice homes. And any of you listeners can do this in your city. You drive around to the nice neighborhoods and you realize like there's that many people that are that rich. Like if I drove into Alpine and I saw two houses that were huge multi-million dollar mansions, I'd be like, those guys just must be smart and good, right? But when you're driving around and there's hundreds of them, you're like, this can't be that hard. I need to just figure out what these people are doing and then do it as good or better than they are. And so in my life, I really have had very few really good ideas. I'm not an ideas guy. 
I've come to learn that ideas are a dime a dozen, execution rules the world, there's graveyards full of good ideas. So what I've learned is, hey, figure out what people are doing and just out execute them. Just outwork them. Just take the hard route. And for me, that's that we've I've always won. I've always won in that mindset of just biting off more than I can chew and figuring out how to chew it. Dude, you need in that when you, that you're in, you need that scooter <laughs> like suspended from your ceiling. You need to like I wish I had it. I need to drain the oil with and my hang wife it up. when we got married. And and what's crazy <laughs> is she'll tell you this story is true. We drove around in our first little condo that we lived in when we were married in college. And I parked it. We went in to get some tacos. No, we, we parked it to go in to use the laundromat. And she was like, you should, you should uh, lock that scooter up. And I was like, nobody wants a 1984 50 seat. Like this thing's worth like 80 bucks. I'm like, nobody wants this. We came out from doing our laundry. Somebody stole my scooter. And then oh, I filed dude. the police report because it was my, that was my like, that was my ticket. Right. And they called us like two months later found it down by like UVU and it was actually all parted out. And I'm like, who steals a scooter to part who's hawking out parts? old piece? Yeah, who's hawking <laughs> old scooter parts, man? This guy must be really on the down. So I was kind of like, man, that guy needed it more than I did. So oh, that's some I had 15 year old took it and tried to jump it over the ravine. And when you, when, I don't know how your football career ended with the Jets, but, um, I got we, cut I, and, and in Canada. Ty, so Ty, I I met Aaron through Dave Allred. Um, they've done a bunch of business deals together, and and uh, we just kind of met through you know talking about some different stuff that we're working on. Um, and Aaron told me some some really great stories. But uh, one of the things I thought was really interesting was how you started getting involved in investing, and uh, it kind of started when you were on the jets, right? And, and yeah. you had all these guys that were making great money and then you kind of started doing some things. Can you just kind of walk us through your mindset back then? And then where did you kind of get the confidence to start, you know, doing things like that? Yeah. So, you know, when I was playing uh, professional football, <clears throat> one thing I learned really quickly was that people were making a ton of money in a very short period of time, you know, in the NFL, 16 games in the CFL, it's 18 games and we get paid every week. So after a game on a Sunday, everybody has a check in their locker. And my check, you know, was way smaller than a lot of my teammates check every week. And, um, but it was, you know, it was still substantial. And I was like, dude, this is a ton of money every single week. Well, what happens to these young people that are new to money and they start making a ton of money and they realize, dude, I get the same check next week. Well, they don't feel like they have to hold on to it very long, right? So between family, entourages, cars, jewelry, clubs, chicks, it's just dissipating quickly. And I, I sat around, I kind of watched for, for a while, a couple months, and I realized like, these guys are blowing money. Like it's just like never ending, right? But what people don't understand is the NFL stands for not for long. You don't last long. There's a reason the average uh, career is three and a half years. And so in, in professional football, you just don't, you have a small window for the majority of players. And I, I started doing deals while I was still in playing football. And especially in my off seasons, I started doing all these real estate deals because fortunately, fortunately for me, um, 
the distressed real estate market had just like taken a, it, it just caught fire. Like everything plunged and you could buy everything from banks for half of a replacement cost. So I started buying these homes in my off season and flipping them and we were doing really well. I mean, I kind of thought I was like the next best thing that ever happened to real estate. And looking back, I realized I was just super, super lucky because of the timing. And, you know, even though everybody was running from the business, they're jumping out and they were, you know, 40, I think 60% of licensees didn't renew their license that year. And I was just hard charging because I didn't know better. Right. But what was, what really made for a great formula was that cash was king because everybody that else that was in the game just got their teeth kicked in and nobody had cash. So um, I had a little bit of cash. I had people around me that had cash. We started buying these houses. We we're flipping them. And literally it felt illegal. We were making so much money and it was so easy. It felt illegal. And I was like, this is it. Like this is the ticket. You know, my first deal, I made more money than my parents combined did in like five years. Right. So I was like, let's go. And, um, and so I started doing some of these deals and my teammates and friends, uh, realized that I was making really good money and, and a couple of them that were smarter were like, Hey man, let me do some deals with you. And I'm like, all right, let's go. So we started doing deals. Well, the cool thing about a professional football team and is, is it's a brotherhood. It's like a fraternity, right? So everybody knows these guys aren't sophisticated, accredited investors out the gates, but, um, you know, and most of the world refers to them as dumb money. These guys aren't dumb money. They're just uneducated, right? They're unexperienced, inexperienced money. So, but the good part about it was, you know, because of this fraternity, it was all really built on trust, uh, trust from an integrity standpoint, but even more from a competency standpoint. And so when they seen me winning and they knew I was their guy, they were like, dude, let's do business with WAGs, you know, and, and you guys kind of have a little bit in the sales community, right? Like once people have identified somebody that's a winner that they can trust, not only from an integrity standpoint, but also from a competency standpoint, then those guys become go-to guys. And so that's what I became. And soon I had more capital than I could spend in the market. And we were doing deals and we were making a ton of money. And to answer your question of how I got the confidence to do that, again, it was like just deal to deal, right? I mean, and when I realized that making, you know, my first couple flips, I made like 10 and $15,000. And I was like, man, that's a lot of work. I like, I did a lot of the work. I was like laying carpet and, you know, doing, doing the, you know, busting out tile. And, and then I realized I started doing a couple more bigger deals and it was like, I was actually doing less work in the bigger deals. And I was adding like a zero or two zeros to every payday, the bigger I went. And that's when the mindset and the paradigm shift happened for me. And I realized like, I can do this. I'm, I'm good at it. I know what I'm doing. It's not as hard as I thought it would be. All these guys that are making all this money, it's not that they're that much smarter. They're just willing to take that risk. And so I had the confidence just from winning already on a smaller deal. And as I continued to practice winning, obviously your confidence is going to go up. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm 20, I think I was 26 years old. You know, I had a goal at that point to, you know, to be a multimillionaire by the time I was, or a millionaire by the time I was 30 years old. And I think 26 was my first big deal. And I bought a house from the bank. I sold it in six days cash and I netted over $1 million on that deal. And it was, it wasn't like I was a papered millionaire. It was like, it was sitting in my bank account and I was like, hope this wasn't as hard as I thought it was. And that deal was easier than the, like the previous 50 that I did. 
And so it totally changed my, my thought process. I realized that I just needed to think bigger because you only catch the big, you can only catch the biggest fish in the size of the pond or the lake you're in, right? So for me, I just realized, man, I'm just swimming in a small pond or fish, sorry, fishing in a small pond and I just need to go to the ocean, you know? And so that's what I've been continually trying to do is just move into a bigger fishing pond and catch bigger fish. I had a, I know you have a hard stop in just a couple of minutes, but I had one question from what you mentioned earlier. You know, you, you mentioned having the confidence that if you, if you had to start over, that you're confident that you could with the knowledge that you've acquired and probably with the mindset and understanding of probably more how the world works and how the economy works than yeah. just real estate. How would you do it? So, so say you, you know, you learned that, Hey, you got wiped out today. It's zero, zero, zero in all your bank accounts. Where would you start? Like if you had to start today. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of places you could start for me. Um, real estate's probably it, real estate's always been my bread and butter. And real estate to me is the easiest, easiest place to make money because it's not a complex business. Sure, there's a lot of working, moving parts, but you know, the, essentially the thesis for winning in real estate is buy low and sell high. It's a simple business. Like even a guy with 12 concussions, a dumb linebacker like me can make millions of dollars doing it. So it's not like you have to have some highly refined skills. It's go find value, you know, buy the deal, turn around and sell it. So yeah, if I didn't have the money, the one thing I do have with even without money or without assets is this, a mouthpiece, sales skills, right? So mm -hmm. all of your people in your, in your guys' organization, you guys have developed those as well. And if you can go find a good value and you can present that to uh, investors and people that have uh, money and capital, and you can be compelling in, in the presentation and in your offering, the money's going to be the easiest part of the equation. That's the one, that's like one huge fallacy that everybody listening to this, if, if there's one takeaway, I would say you need to learn this one thing. If you're starting and you're trying to get, uh, launch your business or get into real estate investing or whatever the case may be outside of your current job, that's creating that cash flow to get started. Everybody says, man, I wish I could do that. And if I had the money, I would. And wags, ah, you had these rich friends that were playing football and you had that, and that, that's all. I mean, to be perfectly honest, the money is the easiest part of the equation in good deals. Here's the most valuable part. Here's the hardest part, finding the good deals. And, and by the way, these people, you hear this all the time. Some of you guys might, listening to this are probably actually feeling this way. Hey, I got this deal, but I don't really want to pitch my friends or my family members or my circle of influence because, you know, it feels like I'm trying to push something down their throat. Well, here's the deal. One, you're not bought in that your opportunity or your business is compelling or good enough. You're not confident enough in yourself to be able to actualize what you're offering or else you wouldn't feel that way. And if you're feeling that way and you really do think you've got something good and can perform, then you need to just kind of smack yourself and get your together and get your head right and be like, Hey, I'm, I've done this. I've won. I'm going to win for others. I can do this for people. And then all of a sudden your entire mindset changes because for me now, when I raise capital, when I syndicate money for investment opportunities, I don't feel like I'm asking anybody for anything. I find and bring incredible value opportunities and I'm going to do them regardless. So I just allow people to come with me. 
hey, I've got an incredible deal. Do you want to come for the ride? Do you want to do you want to do business with somebody that's fun and make a bunch of money? Pretty awesome offering. I don't feel very like bad about presenting that to people. But it's not salesmanship. It's it's I truly believe that. And I have a track yeah. record of doing it. That's it. Yeah, I believe that. That's great. Aaron. <clears throat> Aaron, it's been awesome having you on, man. Uh, yeah, man. A uh, lot of great, lot of great words of wisdom, a lot of great advice, inspiring stories, and I think just your overall energy is inspiring to our sales reps. So, um, Thanks, just man. goes to show that uh, you know you can. Doesn't really matter where your starting point is; it's how you, you know, run the race, your attitude, and your perspective as you're overcoming those obstacles that come your way. And just that dogged determination that no one's going to stop you. So um, it's yep. been a lot of uh, a lot of fun having you on, and I uh, look forward to our next chat, man. So thanks everybody Absolutely. for tuning in. If you've liked what you've heard and are interested in joining our teams, check us out at viventsolar.com forward slash careers. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go to iTunes and subscribe. Leave us a great review and leave us a five-star rating. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric.